Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Hour podcast. On this episode, we have Amani Mixon. Amani Mixon was born and raised at the Magnetic Center of the World's Cultural Compass, Detroit, Michigan. She is a long-form storyteller who is inspired by everyday griots who bear witness to their surroundings and report it back out. Equal parts urgent and essential, her multimedia work centers the experience of Black women and independent artists. Welcome to the show, Amani. Hey, Prince. Thanks for having me. For listeners, I met Imani a few years ago when I was in Detroit um, at this weekend for Society for Features Journalism, which is this organization. And um, and I'm sure people say this to you a lot, but when I saw you, it was like uh, the sky kind of opened up and I thought, who is that person and what is she wearing? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And so I think uh, that's just to give the viewers an image of I don't know, like what it's like to maybe meet Imani, um, but I always like to start off the show um, with this question. Um, what was young Imani like? Um, what were your parents like? Uh, what were you like as a kid? Wow. So first of all, nobody says that to me. <laughs> so It's good to hear. Um, and I do remember my outfit that day. But I think as a kid, I was very open minded and open-hearted and just kind of like ready to make friends, but also very aware of who I was and like who I wanted to be around. So I do think that something that's carried on, I guess, throughout my life is just like the curiosity and the longing for community and art and music and entertainment and like TV or whatever just seemed like a very easy way to get to know people, you know, like the same way when you go to an artist concert, like if you go to an Ariana Grande concert, everybody has that big high ponytail <laughs> or a Drake concert and everybody has an earring. Like it's just that like calling card, like, you know, so I think yeah. um, I wouldn't say it's one to one because obviously experiences uh, impact the way you can go through life, but I was always open. And I think I always enter spaces like looking for my people. And I think those people have changed over time and like different parts of my life. But I do feel like media in general was just a very familiar and comfortable place for me back when I was just a consumer of it to now becoming someone who produces things in the arts and culture space. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, I guess, a lifelong journey of trying to feel good and find what feels good. Um, do you ever, I guess, and I don't know, I was writing up a bunch of questions over the last few days in preparation for this, but I guess one thing that I think about now that literally just popped into my head is, um, I don't know, like I, through reading and researching like a lot of your work, like I, I think some of my questions I have are about being like a curator of like history and place and experience um, and that's for later. But I, I guess I'm also curious, like you talk about how media and art um, shaped so much of your childhood. And I haven't really asked this on this podcast yet, but do you ever feel a nostalgia for how you took art as a kid, even uh, it based off of like when we were kids, like the Internet was less of a thing. So like maybe some of how we took media I don't know, kind of feels like location-based or neighborhood-based. Like I was just, I mean, I live with uh, two white people and I was mentioning to them, 
like a few days ago, like, oh yeah, like when you are walking through a grocery store parking lot and someone tries to sell you like a bootleg movie and they couldn't relate to that. Um, and so I guess I'm just also wondering, because in so many of the interviews I've heard you do, like you talk about how media and art was a way for you to connect with people at a young age. I mean, do you see or think about much of the difference of what that was like for you when you were younger as opposed to now? Yeah, I feel like back then the stakes were really low. Back then it was surprising, you know, to meet a fourth grade <laughs> black girl that had an opinion about the album that came out of this show or even like these clothes or whatever. So it felt really fun and inviting, but also as a like a way to meet more people. So it was like if you're a huge fan of this artist and you find the two other girls in your class that are two, y'all are almost a click now. Like you always are going to have something to talk about or dream about or, you know, go to the skating rink too. So I think, yes, I miss that. And I also appreciate my parents. Uh, my mom is an educator. My dad does like real estate and mortgage stuff. But um, they were always, I think it started off as a joke, like because I always had an opinion, we would watch something or listen to something and be like, okay, Monty, like, what did you think about that? <laughs> and I'd be like, for real? And I'd go off on it, you know, like wow. I have something to say. So I think, um, I don't think they necessarily intended for me <laughs> to be a journalist or anything, but I think we definitely had a sort of responsive home life where everybody involved, like, could have something to say. and it wasn't like riveting. It wasn't like breaking news. It was like, did you watch that video? Or what do you think about this song? Or even both of them trying to like volley and get me to be into yeah. the same music that they're into. I think it felt like a game and it felt fun. It was a way for us to like commune together. And it didn't feel like how it can feel now, where it's like you have to get something right the first time or like yeah. get somebody yeah. to a story. So I think I really cherish that time and I also kind of made it a central part of my personality like media just became really important to me and probably in the same way that everybody else did like before reality tv it was just like a whole lot of behind the scenes or like yeah music video like true life like all that kind of stuff I don't know if I should have been watching it but I was like deeply into MTV and VH1 and like you couldn't tell me something I didn't know about whoever was on the TV um which you know working class parents they you have free time I was the only kid for like the first nine years of my life so I think it all added up to a very joyful experience and I'm happy that I was introduced to the media the way that I was because it wasn't necessarily you know, it wasn't until later until I'm like, oh, my God, like that was a bad take or like beauty mm. standards were crazy or why did it take me so long to go natural? Like all those different things weren't a part of it. It was just joyful consumption. And I yeah. think it's hard even now to joyfully consume things when you know what went into making something happen. Wow. That's so interesting that you I mean, I think of a lot of different things. I think of one, it sounds I don't know. I think about watching my stepdad watch the news as a kid and watching him kind of go off about different things in the news and kind of to your point about your parents being like, what did you think of this? Kind of as a joke, but also as a way to encourage you. Like, I think it's important for kids to see some sense of curiosity in their household or it can be important. Um, and I think that can come across in a lot of ways because like similar to you, like 
I mean, I, my stepdad was around for a number of years, but <clears throat> I mostly consider my mom a single parent and like her way of, I don't know, kind of helping me be curious was like taking me to the library, even though she didn't read or like picking up books at the clearance section at TJ Maxx or whatever. And how, I don't know, it's just interesting how like a little thing like that, that your parents did, like to your point, probably opened up all these other possibilities. Yeah. And I think it also depends on their taste. Like God bless them for having good taste and finding a partner that has good taste. And I'm like yeah. listening to Maxwell and going to concerts and listening to, I don't know, my dad's favorite rapper is Rakim. So it was like, it wasn't like stuff that didn't matter that they yeah. were in. It was like pretty important cultural producers at the time. And also I too was just like, they were kind of young. Like my mom had me at 25. So there is a sense where I'm kind of rolling with the homies at some mm, point. Okay. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we need to get a sitter for Imani. We're going to this concert. It was like, oh, we're going to this concert. And she'll be there too. And we just yeah. need to like cover her ears sometimes or <laughs> plug her nose, like whatever it is. So I think yeah. I very much became like, it was like a city kid thing. Like I would go to a festival with my mom and be there all day or just see stuff that you wouldn't normally see on TV or at home. And I think it was imperative for me to be able to like talk to anybody or like find something really important for myself and figure out how to convey that importance to other people. Mm. So yeah, I definitely um, cherish those memories and I look forward to continuing to find more opportunities to make that happen again, even as an adult. Um, so at what point in your childhood or in you kind of growing up, did you start to kind of think of yourself as an artist or liking art was kind of a part of your identity? I think it took a while. And I think this year particularly, or maybe the last couple of years, is when I really got comfortable being like, oh no, I'm an artist. Like I can do many different things or many different mediums influence the thing I do most often, which is writing. Um, but because I, you know, I had a very expressive and I would say artful family, but I didn't know any artists per se. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. So as a kid, I was just like, I'm going to be an author. Like that was the only title I knew of because I books read did you what were some of your favorite books as a kid I you know I, I liked all the like the click and like all those girly mm. like early eighth grade books I didn't really read Gossip Girl I don't think um I don't think I have them now I'm looking over but you know my mom definitely read to me when I was young and like those um I think Fred Crump Jr. is the name of the illustrator like he made all these fairy tales but all the characters are like beautiful african-american people like the prince is like this gorgeous <laughs> beautiful <sighs> job boy and i think that piqued my interest um but it wasn't until it was time to apply to college that i even knew journalism was a thing and something i could potentially access like did, I felt, did you go to a high school where it was like go to college and do stem was it that kind well, of thing not even do STEM, but my mom uh, works in high school. She's been working in high school since I was born. Yeah, so yeah. she's a high school counselor now. And she was just always priming us for like the best educational experience with the goal of going to college. And it was good because I think I already naturally wanted to go just because I love reading. I love learning, whatever. Um, but it definitely was sort of a high, it was a suburban high school. And I drove to school 45 minutes to go like, you know, 
So there were black people, but not, there were only a handful of Detroiters there. Um, but yeah, the goal was that she would go to college and it got to the point where I would have to kind of choose, you know, yeah. you have to know what you're going to apply to, what to talk about. So journalism came up on my list and I Googled like top journalism schools, whatever. I didn't look at salaries. <laughs> if I would have looked at salaries, <laughs> it might've changed things. But I saw top journalism school and I am a naturally really high achieving person, I think. So it's like, if I'm going to do something, I want to do the mm, best, okay. whatever, um, which is a whole nother set of neuroses. But um, I, yeah, I applied to Northwestern. I got in and I think Northwestern is where I was like, oh, like this is a competition. So I don't think the program sets itself up for that. But when you're sitting next to the dude who wants to be on CNN mm. or like Sports Illustrated and you are like, I just want to write a really pretty glossy magazine story. Yeah. It takes a lot to sort of have the fortitude to not switch up or to not be looking over your shoulder and just acknowledge like I was built for this. Every single opportunity that's come in my life gave me like put me in the place where I can talk to so-and-so and if you did the same thing it wouldn't work the same way or the story yeah. wouldn't be the same way so and and, um, and i mean and because i because i also think of this show as like i don't know i like to pause where i think we can find advice for other people that are coming up so i mean what in your experience there and what you were thinking helped you kind of navigate that competitive element where there's was there a moment or a series of moments where you were like this is here but i have my own way of navigating this? Like, what was your process in finding that? Yeah, I think no matter, like, it's a very fast paced program. Like you, our quarter, we're in a quarter system. So it was like 10 weeks instead of a whole semester or 10 week quarter instead of a semester. So, you know, you're like reading a book a week or you're turning in these stories and it just very much felt, you know, like fast paced, high intensity. So I think I'm always drawn to moments of like softness Mm -hmm. intention and it's like yes I want this education and I want a degree that will serve me with the right tools to move forward in this industry but I don't want to come out and just be another insert whatever famous yeah. journalist name yeah so like a replica had, yeah. yeah I think I had to figure out what was for me like what part of this journey am I supposed to really pay attention to and what stuff can I kind of just um, detach myself from. And I think I had to detach myself from comparison, whether it be through being competitive or looking at people where it's like, oh, your great grandfather was a journalist. Like we're mm -hmm. not on the same path, but we can be <laughs> friends. We can talk about this, but I'm the first one in my family. So my questions are different. My needs are different and my perspective is different and that's good. And I think it took a long time because there were moments of like, oh, like, why didn't I think of that? Or why don't I want to do mm. broadcast necessarily? Or why well, do I want to do broadcast? Well, like, why don't I want to do like um, HTML <laughs> or like breaking news? So I think um, that process made me really like double down on what I wanted for myself in that moment. And I would encourage everybody to think about like, what is unique to you? And what do you need to get to the next step? in a journey um, for it to really matter to you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Hour podcast. 
For those of you that want to support The Creative Hour, you can do it in a couple of ways. Reading and liking this podcast helps other people find it and listen to these great conversations between artists. Another way that you can support this podcast is by donating to my Patreon. Donating to my Patreon gives you early access to these episodes, also exclusive clips that aren't available on Spotify or any other streaming platform, as well as a monthly Q&A that I plan to do once my Patreon reaches $400 a month. You also get access to early newsletters for my newsletter, Millennial Writer Life, and early access to YouTube videos that share all sorts of writing resources. Please donate to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash P-R-S-H-A-K-U-R and enjoy the rest of this episode. think kind of to that point. Um, so you went to Northwestern and then I was listening to an interview where you talked a lot about uh, having your summer internship at Complex. So with even more time away from that internship, and I, and I guess I'm also thinking of like people that are studying journalism and they're kind of figuring out how to enter the the real world in, in, in quotations of like being a writer, a journalist, a freelancer. Um, what advice or what lessons um, do you take away from that time now that you're further away from it? Yeah. So another part of why I chose Northwestern is that you have to leave to intern. So that internship happened while I was still in school and um, it wasn't like, so with their program, they pair you with like a Northwestern alum, you apply to a program and you don't really know which publication you're going to be in, but you'll be in one for sure, no matter what. So I got an internship at Condé Nast Traveler for the fall of 2013. And I had always wanted to be in New York. Um, So I was like, I'm just going to apply to see if I can get there in the summer, (laughs) like get my toes wet Mm. and maybe do something that feels a little truer to me because, you know, Condé Nast Traveler is great, but I would never call myself a travel writer. And yeah, like it wasn't on my radar. So the good news for people listening is that I literally applied to my complex internship just raw, kind of like yeah. on Indeed. And I didn't, I had never applied by Indeed, what Indeed or anything. And I want to say it took a while. Like I got to a point where I was like, I'll say, I'm probably not going to be in New York this summer. I need to figure something else out. And then I got an email while I was in class, maybe two months after I had applied and probably like a month or so before I needed to, you know, figure out what to do for the summer. That was like, Hey, got your application. We'd love to have you Mm. um, as a style intern at complex. Are you free? And I'm like, Oh my God, yes, I'm free. So um, in hindsight, it was definitely like, I don't know if it's risky as much as it was like not the most well-informed decision. Like the internship wasn't paid as most weren't back then. And, uh, I got like a Metro card. Like I had an unlimited Metro card every month. That was kind of the payment, but I still was like working. Um, So I think I definitely applaud people who trust their ambition. Um, But I feel like looking back at that time, yes, I experienced a lot, interacted with a lot of cool artists um, and had really good interviews and got my first few clips in the industry. But it wasn't necessarily the most like longevity focused decision to make. Mm. 
I feel like as you get deeper in your career, like it's less likely that one, you're not going to, I'm not doing anything for free right now. <laughs> like yeah. it has to do with my practice and my daily work. Cause I work for myself. Um, but it's just like, what, how much are you willing to do and for yeah. whom? So I think that was a really good experience necessary for me to like break into the industry and be in New York and like be around people. And this was like the blogging era too. So I feel mm. like it was like the early inklings of people being able to just take things and make it for themselves. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm kind of interested in what you're saying. Is it kind of like, uh, is, is kind of what you're saying, like you wish certain resources would have been available or offered to you at the time? Because I guess I also think of like, I started freelance journalism in 2017 when I was in South Korea and I had no money. And I was like, this is a way for me to make money while I'm abroad and I have a computer. And I look back at it and I'm like, okay, so I did what I needed to do in order to enter it in the way that I could have. But looking back at it, I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like there were so many other things along the way that could have, I don't know, even in college, I wish someone would have said like, oh, you could do freelance writing after like as an option as an English major. Um, And so I I guess I'm, I I don't know, I guess I'm just thinking of the distinction between like there are resources that should have been available to us. And also it's like, if you're not the most traditional person entering the industry, it's like you're going to enter it in some weird and sometimes not the most stable ways. Right. And I think that's what I'm getting to is like entering the industry in an unstable way can make instability feel normal and feel expected. And I don't think, especially in the times we're in now, I don't think that is a healthy place to be, to be like, oh, I'll figure it out one day. And it's 10 years later, you know? (laughs) So um, I think, I think it was a beautiful experience. Nobody there was getting paid as an intern. Like I was down there with everybody, but at at the same token, you know, rent in New York was like 1500 a month. And I was, um, working retail on fifth Avenue at Madewell too, on my days off. So it wasn't, it wasn't like chill. And I was super young. I hadn't turned 21 yet. Like I was just like, I'll do whatever I have to do. And I (laughs) wish and hope for a future where writers can enter the industry without being like, I'll do whatever I want to do because it's not always safe because there are some people who will make you do whatever or who mm. will exploit that or who will, you know, burn you out before you even get to doing your own thing. Yeah. So um, I think I had a really blessed journey. I think the excitement carried me through <laughs> more than anything else. Like there was nothing else to do but be excited at the time. Um, so that was cool. And that's what I mean by just like, you know, taking stock and calling in a greater life for yourself. And a lot of times that greater life is like, halfway between what you want and can do for yourself and then what other people want for you and can provide for you. So I think that's a balance I'm always trying to figure out. So you went to Northwestern and what year did you graduate? I graduated in 2014. I was there for undergrad. What was kind of in your headspace as you were like getting into your work and your career post-graduation? Oh shit, my headspace was oh shit. (laughs) I vividly remember like my parents came to graduation and they took me out to dinner and they sat on one side of the thing and I was with my other. 
And they're like, okay, Ronnie, like you're going to have to pay for your life now. And I just started crying. And it wasn't like I had never paid for anything before, but I'm like, y'all know the recession just happened. Like we're still reeling from that. There are no media jobs. I only have a couple of clips and I don't yet know what I want to do yet. So like, I don't need to hear you tell me I need to pay for my life because I don't even know what my life is. Like that was, you know, definitely a thing. Um, I spent probably another year or probably six months or so in Chicago working at another Madewell and like just trying to meet people. Like I wasn't actively writing or freelancing. I was, I had blogs a little bit in college for myself. Um, and, um, met, you know, I was like hanging out with performers or musicians or DJs or producers just to like see what they do. But I wasn't necessarily in a place where I could contribute to it or where I was felt confident enough to contribute to it. So, um, at the time, everybody was like, you need to get into marketing. Like if you are a journalist, you want to make money or writer, you want to make money, you need to do marketing. marketing. So I listened to people and I worked two marketing jobs, one in book publishing in Chicago and another back here in Detroit. And in 2016, I quit my job like unceremoniously by my birthday in marketing. And it was just kind of like, no, like I think sometimes you do need to get into an environment that is not yours or that's mm-hmm. not what you want to be to really realize like, oh, yeah, I really agree with that because I will say after college, one of my big rules was like, I don't think I need to know what I need to be doing. I think I need to understand what I don't need to be doing. <laughs> so yeah. that was, a, yeah, I feel yeah. Like- And I get like there is so much comfort in knowing, you know, I work, I have this title, I do this thing and like excelling at that. So I don't, like, I don't have any feelings, any negativity around people who do that. But I just felt like I know that I have a certain set of skills that will do really well in this environment. And this is not that. And I also need to be surrounded by people who are making really juicy, great, inspiring things and doing more than they are talking, you know, like actively producing beautiful things more than talking about what it takes to make something, I don't know, viral. Um, So I quit. Again, I went back to working like three jobs at once. Like, I feel like the pattern is I would just work a whole lot of jobs, right? Whenever I could. But but it's also cool because if you look back at it, you were like, you were practicing some of whatever the hustle you need to be like a freelance multi-hyphenate creative anyway. (laughs) Exactly. So this was another moment where it's like, okay, you're young, you have way more time on your hands, not enough money on your hands, like do what you need to do. Um, And it wasn't like, I I took a couple of different jobs, like writing. um, And I feel like it really, really honestly stuck around like 2018 is when I felt like I have more clips. I have connections, um, definitely locally in Detroit, but also a couple elsewhere or with school. And like, I know what kind of writer I am, Mm -hmm. whereas when you're first starting out, you are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or I love (laughs) tracing the history, the cultural histories of things that we take for granted or may seem mundane or are not the most mainstream, you know, thing that people are crazy about. Um, 
But I really do think that core of my writing is like heart and emotion. And there's a way that, you know, journalism school and even some professional opportunities don't necessarily honor that. Like they don't want you to really feel. But I think there is an element of like healing and spirit and essence and heart that is at the root of every story I tell. And that's really hard to one, um, anticipate and two, like just make from scratch. Like it has to already be there. Whatever it is that I'm writing about already has to be pretty impactful or meaningful to like seeing from the page like that. Yeah. So I think I definitely got into my stride in like 2018. That feels like a very important time where I finally landed, you know, cover stories or had people locally talking about stuff or have friends buying articles that I have a cover on, like that kind of thing. Um, So it definitely took trial and error. And I do wish I would have spent more time like just and I still can, I still do, but just like focusing on what it is that I want, as opposed to looking around to seeing what the market is talking about or like what yeah. the thing is. Cause I, cause I think that's, what's beautiful about being self-employed or freelance or I don't know, gig based, whatever you want to call it, because I, I kind of view my, how I view my career. <laughs> cause I don't know. Cause I think there is like the it's how there's the layer of how other people view your career and how it's going. And I feel like as soon as you have writing in more than like three or four places, people are like, you're prolific. And you're like, where's the money? (laughs) And 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 then there's the element of like within yourself, like to you saying like 2018 was when you realized like some of the essence and the core of like what you're really trying to tackle and and I and I guess my mind is going to two different places, and I'm just gonna pick one. But I, I was listening to um, your work with Morningside, and uh, and like you going into the community and doing oral histories with people and giving people the power to tell their own stories. And I feel like I don't know. In in so much of your work, of course, is Detroit and your love for it. Like I saw your love letter to Detroit, and I guess I don't know. I was watching one of, uh, I think it was one of your proper nouns conversations. And I think it was Paul Jackson. You, you talked about uh, you not liking when Paul described Detroit as, uh, as ugly or, or I, I can't remember what it was, but it was a bad word. And, yeah. um, and you had like a good conversation about that. And, and maybe this is also just me getting a little personal, but what I feel like I love in the work that you do and how you talk about it is like how you are both the product of this place and someone archiving and collecting and curating these histories. And, and as to your point, the only way that you can. And so I, I guess I kind of come to this as someone, I grew up in Cleveland. I still consider it my home. And I, every time I go back, I'm like, Oh, it's changing. It's changing. Like it's changing in all these ways. And some part of me knows that I will move back. But I, I, I guess, and maybe this is just a big question, but I guess, what do you feel about like young people, people in their twenties, like black people, inner city kids? Like, I, I don't know, I guess, what do you make of this struggle between staying where you grew up and leaving? And I don't know, I guess, how has your emotions around that conversation changed over time? Um as you live in Detroit more and as you 
I guess, just naturally develop more as a human being? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Uh, it's really cool to hear you summarize some of the things, like how you were saying how you think your career goes versus how it um, comes across to other people. I So I moved back here in 2016, before the pandemic, when things were really happening and you could see people. And um, I think, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go. I think everybody does need to leave home if they can for an extended amount of time, no matter what it is. It could be purely social. It could be for love. It could be for work. Doesn't matter. But just like removing yourself and being able to come back with fresh eyes. And I think more than anything for me, especially now that the world is um, going more global and also more digital, it feels less and less important through like for people, like for the, the higher ups, it feels a little less important about where you are. Like that doesn't matter as much as it did maybe when I first graduated. But what I really do hope is that these people, these, you know, inner city kids that are doing really cool work are met with the resources to sustain that work. Mm-hmm. And I've just been very discerning um, or critical of, you know, like, okay, if, if somebody is always the cool kid in a space making things happen, when do they get time to make their own space mm. or make things happen for themselves? And I think that a lot of, you know, institutions and organizations, they could mean well, but like what resources do you have in place to make sure that this person can continue to be that beautiful, positive being, you know, for you or beyond you? And I think, um, if you are the person producing that work, it's very important to think beyond. Of like, okay, if I woke up and God forbid Detroit is gone tomorrow, what do I do? Or if I wake up and this website shuts down, what do I have? Um, and I, I just want people who can really make change happen or who have the funding or who have the connections to be in conversation with those people because I think it's very easy to recreate systems of exploitation and uh, extraction where it's like, okay, you're always the one giving beautiful things to a place that's yet to be determined or a place that's still growing. Um, So I think that in a perfect world, we can all make whatever we want from wherever we want, but no matter what, we're going to need community that deeply understands us and invest in the future that we want for ourselves. Appreciate that answer because makes me think about how or in what ways art operates in communities as like a means of survival or as a means yeah. of like helping people survive or heal or process. Because I, I think like to kind of your some of your points about like experiencing culture and music and this city with your parents when you were a kid. I don't know. I'm sure that gave you something that colors or allows you to like navigate the city in a certain way. Cause it is interesting. Cause I, I grew up in Cleveland, but I can definitely say like my upbringing was a little bit more sheltered, like maybe some of my connection to Cleveland. Yeah. It is just interesting. Cause I've never thought about like, what is my connection to Cleveland? I'm like, uh, I don't know, it looks at an experiential and cultural right. level. And it's interesting to think of 
what that looks like in different places. Yeah. And I think also like something that did sort of taught me, not people, but a thought that taught me growing up is like, I don't have like a talent show talent. Like I don't have a thing I can just do on stage. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a singer. I'm not a rapper. <laughs> Unfortunately, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, So I always just felt like, damn, like, well, what can I even do? And I think as an artist or a creative or a freelancer, it really is your job to become a channel for all the intangible things that you do and mm. like choose, you know, what's, where is a safe place and who are safe people to share this with or to usher it, in, in, usher it into the world. But it's very easy to get, you know, a little bit defeated if you're like, oh, like, am I a material girl? <laughs> like, can I keep up? with whatever like can I get down with this new craze or whatever the thing is but I do feel like I've grown closer and closer to my craft being a spiritual a spiritual work I've gone closer and closer to my craft being spiritual Mm -hmm. which requires that I pay way more attention to how I treat it and who I share it with and I don't think I had that early on and I don't think it's something I planned it just arrived And would you say that's kind of, I don't know, I think of like your trajectory and how you talked about 2018. Would you say like understand, seems like that is also kind of a, like one of your strongest qualities, like in in numerous projects, it's like you going to people and being in a part of the community and trying to bring that safety. So people do feel okay to express themselves, whether it's through like your podcast or just like the different projects that you've done. So I, I, yeah, like what is your approach to when you bring people in or you interview them? Like what, what are some of the things that you try to bring to the table? So I think 2018, now that I'm thinking about it is pivotal, pivotal because that was the year that the Morningside podcast happened and proper nouns happened because I was working so hard on the Morningside podcast. And I was like, wait a second, like, what is the Imani thing? Like, this is the Michigan radio thing. It's lovely. Everybody's great. But what is my thing that only I can do and who can I do it with? So I think every time I've traditionally worked for like a a corporation or institution, there's always an offshoot of like, okay, but this is for me. Like that is like dinner. This is my dessert. Yeah. So um, I think I was just you know, very observant around how things happen and how decisions get made. And I was really hands-on and like, you know, obviously the interview questions, the sources, the logo, the descriptions, like all that stuff. And I'm like, well, if I can do that for y'all, what can I do for me? And I think proper nouns had been in my mind for a while in a lot of different iterations, but you know, I finally had a salary. Um, I had my own apartment, the same apartment. And I literally woke up a couple Saturdays every or of the month and cleared out this living room, brought in a friend who brought in one more friend. And we just set up the um, the interviews and the prerequisite for proper nouns is like they are friends, which is something I can't necessarily always do as a journalist. You can't just interview your friends um, who were doing something interesting or new. Uh, didn't really matter their age, but they were all, you know, in my community around my same age. Like I'd seen them out or done things with them. I went to high school with some of them, college with another, met them out just around town. And I really, it was more of a case study almost for me of like, how do these people do this thing? Mm. Like, how did they 
make clothes or organize events or organize people or have a loud voice like Paul to be able to critique. And I think it took me a very long time to give myself permission to do all these other things that I admired in other people. It felt like, oh, but I'm just a writer. Oh, I'm just documenting. Oh, and not even like on a personal level, I think I... As a Scorpio, I think I'm a big deal. Like, <laughs> I think I'm a big deal, but I think as a journalist, you have to, you know, take that ego out and like focus on the story. But, you know, giving myself the permission to be like, oh, I can interrogate. I can take up space. I can look really interesting. So somebody talks to me like I can do all these things and it's not going to take away from me and my profession. And I think that was a little bit of a chipping away from what I learned growing up or learned in school about like what a consummate professional is. And, you know, I'm not a news anchor behind a desk in a suit. That's just not the person I am. So I think 2018 was like going all in toward the kind of future I could imagine for myself in media. To my earlier point, uh, I kind of want to bring this back because I don't know I feel like maybe you're the first person that I feel like I could kind of really talk to this about. But, and I think it's to my point earlier about how other people view your career and how you view it. So this is kind of a simple question, but it might bring up a lot. What do you feel when someone says like, you're so accomplished or you're an accomplished writer, you're an accomplished media maker. Um, do you feel accomplished? Um, are there other things that you want to be doing or wish you could be doing right now or that you think is awaiting you on like a a level of like when that happens then I'll feel accomplished like do you feel like how other people view you is matches the amount of work that you've put in Woo! okay prince um So it's interesting, like the timing of this question is interesting because I feel like all of our identities have taken a hit these past couple of years and it hasn't been safe for your profession to be central to your identity. So before the pandemic, before you asked this question, I may have been like, oh my gosh, like journalism is my favorite thing. That's what I do. And while that's true, um, I think I've always been you know, like not even caught by surprise, but just like grateful when people say stuff like that or when people even say, oh, I read your story or what happens more often, which is so weird to me. And maybe it happens to you is people are like, oh, I haven't read your story yet. But and I'm like, you know, this is not a signed reading. Like, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. like what are we what are we talking about? I didn't you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it feels very validating to have been a kid that was like, what am I going to do? to, okay, this is what I'm doing, to people can engage with, and if not enjoy, then at least appreciate what I'm doing. Um, And I think I, I wouldn't say I feel accomplished as much as I feel like I've gained enough experience to now branch out and do other things. So like, I call myself a long form storyteller, like in my Twitter, Twitter bio and stuff. Cause I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And even yeah. though I've done a lot of different things, I feel like the um, downside or like result of that is that people view you 
based on how they discovered you. So like some people will say I'm a podcaster. Some people will say I'm a short filmmaker. Some people say I'm a journalist. And I'm like, I'm just trying to tell stories. Like don't put a cap on this because anybody that wants to get down <laughs> and fund this or like yeah. bring me on the journey, then we can make it happen. So I do feel like a lot of time has passed and I've created some of my best work. And I think a lot of my favorite work moving forward will be things that I do for myself as opposed to on behalf of other people, although it will require collaboration and support from other people, which would be like, I really want to write a short story. I really want to write a novel. I really want to write a TV show and a movie. And I am stepping into a moment now where I'm trying to get even more comfortable with Mm self-promotion because I'm realizing that it matters. Like a lot of people don't know what you want until you say it. A lot of people are following your lead. So if I say, okay, I'm a podcaster for whatever amount of time, that's the only thing people will come to me for. But if I can like get in front of that and let people know what I'm working on, struggling with, able to do it's much easier for them to like come into the fold so I do kind of like to keep that little gap of curiosity like oh what is she doing now but Mm -hmm. then I always appreciate when the next question is how can I help you and I think I feel most accomplished when people reach out to me with opportunities and the first line of the email is like you were the first person that came to mind like that Mm -hmm. feels like an accomplishment because if I came to mind, hopefully it means that you'll respect this relationship. You'll honor the work that we do and you can really like come at it full hearted <laughs> with the full budget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can make it happen. So I where we're like the first thing you say is like, you don't say my rate is you're like, what's the, what's the planned budget for this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what, what are we working with for real? What are we talking about? So I do feel like fourth grade Imani and like high school Imani that was just out here screaming at the wind about whatever just happened will be so proud of the life that we have built. Cause I do think it takes all versions of yourself. Um, And it's really good to remember because in the day to day, especially in the pandemic, it's just not as um, everything is not as invigorating or riveting or compelling as it used to be. And I really, really thrive in the energy of like, oh, my God, like I like a show that's going to make me lose my breath, a concert that's going to make me cry, a color outfit that's going to make me like just drop down to my knees. So I feel like all those extreme, beautiful responses have been dulled and numbed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it really is down to like, are you centered? Are you grounded? Are you taking care of yourself? Is your apartment at least kind of clean sometimes? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Everything has gotten a little bit more ground level. And I really like, like a penthouse view of things. Mm. Yeah. I think you honestly, maybe just, <laughs> I think you kind of described my, Oh my God. Yeah. I've been trying to journal more lately and I've been journaling and I'm like, am I disappearing? Like, where's yeah. the world going? And so I think, I don't know. I, I think to, yeah. Like your analogy of like wanting the penthouse view. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like this pandemic has just made me be like, well, I guess I'm moving this year. <laughs> I don't know. Like those kind of things where it's like, you're trying to fight to be fine with yourself as things around you change, but also you're trying to prepare for what you'd like to be next as well. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is so true. You are not alone. So I think one thing I do want to add that is way more true now than ever before is like for some somehow, like I've had a very blessed freelance career. I didn't really have a plan, didn't have savings. Like I just did it. Um, And as I'm, you know, getting older and thinking about stability and longevity and like what kind of life I want to build for myself. I'm realizing how important it is to give yourself the time to map things out in a way that feels you. And um, I also am not like, like, I feel like I reach out to you a lot because I feel like you pitch a lot of stories and you land a lot of stories. And I've never really, I've been more like, I'll get to know an editor or somebody and I'll be assigned stories. I'm never like, I haven't been like a go hard pitcher in a long time. But in the same way that I was like, I'm getting more comfortable with self promo. Mm -hmm. What has been a bright spot professionally for me so far this year is just like doing a little bit of research and a lot of dreaming, like where would I want to end up? How can I make it happen? And I've reached out to people I have never reached out before. And they Mm -hmm. responded very quickly and very like warmly. So I think that is one more way to feel less alone right now um, in the freelance world and also take a little bit. I know we can't control anything right now, but like taking a little bit of control of the narrative that you have around your work, being like, I am capable, I am reliable. I do know what I'm doing. And it also helps if I'm doing it for something I'm really excited about, if that's possible. Yeah. So that's been really good. Like literally what I tell you today was like the first day where I sat down and I'm like, well, we're going to try to write a few things. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I really, yeah. I don't Cause it, it can just be so hard because you want the different parts of the process to feel good. And it does feel good when you write something and you met the deadline and you know, you're going to get paid well. And it's like, Oh, like I really care about this thing, but I don't know. Sometimes it can even just be like, coming up with the idea and sending it out. That's like the part of the process where you're like, is this feeding me in the way that I want it to? And I, and I feel like that's what I've been struggling with lately. Like I'm reconnecting with what my beats are, what I want to write about is. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's the the truth is like, if you are going to be on a self-directed journey, it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard, but there are also moments for you to finally like be in the driver's seat so I think it's important for people like us to take up space and stay in control of our career as much as we can before we get swayed before we say okay skip it I'm about to go back to this other stuff I used to do and you'll never see my face again I'm never gonna have a book like all this stuff like I think it's cheesy but like no the world really does need us and our art and we need to like be down to make our art what kind of book do you want to write? Oh my gosh. I don't know yet. I really don't know. I don't really care. I really just want to wake up to an email that's like, whatever you want to do, here you go. <laughs> like, I dream of like an anonymous benefactor just waking up and be like, oh, who's that Imani girl? Here you go. And then I'll figure it out. Um, but no matter what, I think it's going to be a really lovely story that centers Black women and gives them the chance to really enjoy life as opposed to be like to being um at the mercy of life like Mm. I think that is so much of 
what we read and consume. And yes, it's true. But like, I just want to read something where it's like, damn, she got everything she wanted easily. So I think be in that in that vein. And I think that the first step is for me to do that. I think I have to start like claiming what I want and going for it in order for that book to even be a possibility or whatever project. Yeah. Possibility. So um we'll see but good thing i have book writing friends like you to figure out how to even do it i'm just gonna say whatever whatever help you need and honestly yeah i mean i feel like you could get a literary agent really well i mean of course i have to read your work but i trust whatever your voice is and i don't know i mean write that book i know i know i know i need more time more money and i'll write my book would you consider applying to like more residencies or like a re- definitely I definitely like I've never had a residency or fellowship and I feel like that's also the energy of like self-promotion is knowing how to talk about yourself enough to convince the right people to give you the opportunities yeah so I would love to be gone somewhere for a couple of months and I think that's what it will take because doing it in between other responsibilities and in the same place just hasn't worked for me yet. Um, so I would love to do that. And um, for people to keep up with me, they can find me on Instagram at the city proper on Twitter at my name, Imani Mixon. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a writer's page called at written by Imani Mixon, I think is what it is. Okay. So I'm around. I'm around. I'm trying to be way more, you know, as much in person as I can, or just like grounded as I can and not so much online, but I am. Yeah. I'm online. Well, I'm well online. your Instagram is always fire. So oh, good. So <laughs> I, I will post and go. I love a post and go. I'm at a post and go. Part oh, I, like whenever I see it, I'm like, oh my God, Rihanna just posted. That's what it feels like. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but yeah, but it's so good to talk to you. And I'm happy that we met when we did, when the world was open and when our lives were sort of changing and our paths were crossing, it felt like a very pivotal moment, even though it was only like a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I think it did too. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It felt like everything that was happening then fed into some part of why I'm where I am now, which is a nice feeling in retrospect. Well, thank you so much. It's so good to hear from you and see your face.